you've got a Bible with you, you want to keep your Bible open. We're going to be working through um, looking at a number of passages today, small texts that really can help us in our understanding of what it means to really be a Christian. It's a, a great debate rages, for example, today and has raged in past years. Uh, who is a true Christian? What does it mean to be a true Christian? I'm not going to be able to answer all of that, and our text won't even take us to that full conclusion, if you want, but it'll begin to, to cause us to think, to research, to study, and hopefully to begin to move on a journey where we're certain that we're believers, and we know who who is a believer, and what a believer should look like, and how a believer should act. So um, that's what we want to get to today. Uh, in his book, which is a great little book, by the way, um, uh, Saving Faith by John Piper, he, he quotes in there uh, an old theologian from the 1600s called Francis Turretson. And Turretson noted um, several aspects to saving faith, if you want. Others see this differently. These were just his thoughts. Some of maybe five aspects, some of two, some different ones. So here's what um, some of the things that Turretson was considering has to be um, inclusive and anyone who's a believer. Number one, there has to be knowledge. That is, there has to be an understanding of God's truth. <clears throat> we hear God's truth, and we actually have enough sort of uh, knowledge, enough background by which we can actually understand that truth, and therefore take that truth to a place. And the second point he moves that truth to is um, that of being experiential. So it's moving from this knowledge of hearing that truth to that truth being implanted or experienced in one's life. It has to become experiential. It's got to become real in your life, my life, and the life of every believer. His third point is that then that takes us to a place of refuge. So we go to Christ seeking um, pardon, seeking forgiveness of sin. We recognize that we have offended a holy God. We recognize Christ to be the one who can assist us in overcoming this, uh, this damaged relationship and correcting it by having our sins forgiven and getting pardon in that sense. So we've moved from a place of um, getting this knowledge to being experiential in our lives to them putting it into practice in this uh, manner of experiencing refuge, if you want, and pardon and forgiveness of sin. And the fourth one that um, I'm suggesting he puts out here is that then there's a reception of Christ, a reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes uh, a redeemer in that sense to us. Um, we not only desire Christ to be our Savior, but we actually begin to embrace him as Lord. So we're no longer saying, oh, I just wish Jesus would be my Savior. I wish he'd be my Savior. He actually, we, we move with him to that place of him becoming our Savior. Now, of course, all of this is an Initiated by God and not by ourselves. And then his fifth point is that um, uh, this is a, an act that um, where the individual is brought to faith in Christ alone. So we have this um, recognition that only Jesus can be our Savior. And this is the moment, because Christ is our Savior, we, we recognize that this is the moment whenever our soul receives Christ and salvation is fully birthed, springs to life, if you want. Uh, it's being reborn in that sense. And so Tereson says, you know, those are some of his points, not all of his points, but they're five of, I think it's six points. But he brings out these points that can really help us in understanding what it means to be a believer. So the question hanging over all of us today is make certain of our own lives that we belong to Jesus. Now, these are some thoughts that I hope will help us today and then um, begin to steer, guide us, um, direct us along the road if you want to understanding in the fullest way. So, you know, we have to be saved. We've got to be this person who's born again. The Lord told, <clears throat> told Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, 
Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless he has this um, special experience, this um, God experience in his life that is a, a regenerate, a regenerational experience, then he's not going to be born again. So, of course, all of this has to be from God. It can't be from man. We read in John chapter 1, if you look there, John chapter 1, verses um, 12 and 13. If you've got a Bible, just flick it over to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. That's where we'll get our first text that'll help us. And here's what we read right there. Now, this is going to help us a lot. Here's, um, John tells us here, but to all who did receive him, to all who received Christ, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. There's authority in the name of Christ, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. This is the whole point of salvation. It's from God. We're born of God. That's so important. So it happens that we're born of God, but we're also born through Christ, born by the word of God, if you want. If you look towards the back of your Bible, um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses um, verse 23 in there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 will um, give us some in insight here. Here's what we read there. So we want to hold that thought that we're born of God in this salvation experience. We're born of God. So 1 Peter uh, 1 Peter 1.23 reads, um, reads like this. Because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, that's eternal seed, through the living and enduring word of God, which is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that this all comes about through God initiating it. He puts Christ the Redeemer in there, and then the Holy Spirit steps in and initiates all of this, which we read about in John chapter 3, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 6 and 8. So if you Look back to John's Gospel, chapter 3. I'm going to see in verses 6 through 8 um, how this happens. The, the part that the Spirit plays in your salvation, my salvation, the salvation of any soul. Um, so um, John 3, verses 6 to 8 reads like, uh, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. That's humanity. Whatever is born of the Spirit, that's the, the Holy Spirit, is spirit. So it's different from flesh. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound. You can't see it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, it's a unique, unusual um, spiritual work that's driven by God the Father through Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit. This is how our salvation comes about. So that's the first point that we want to hold in being truly redeemed, truly saved. Now, if that is you, if you've had that experience, if you've been redeemed, then God says, I want you to be um, set apart from me, going to minister for me in some way. So the believers set apart unto Christ. We read in Romans, um, Romans chapter 8, 30, 31 to 39, verse 35, tells us that um, the challenge is thrown out. Well, who, who can separate us from the love of God? Can demons do it? Can authorities do it? Can principalities? There's, his point is there's nothing and there's no one can ever separate us from the love that Christ has for us, the love that God has in Christ for us. There's nothing and no one can separate the true believer in that. And then, of course, this true believer, you and I, hopefully, well, we're, we live separately. We live different from the world because we've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus, because we we belong to him. We now live as, as a people who are not of this world. We live as a people different to the world. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, about our being separated unto God. Paul tells us here, don't become partners with those who do not believe. Don't get too tightly involved 
in their, their, their relationship. For what partnership, what fellowship is there between righteousness and lawlessness? This point is there's no relationship there. Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Of course, they, they don't come together. They, they're complete opposites. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? We have little or nothing in common with this world that we live in. And what agreement does a temple, <clears throat> what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are, we are the temple of the living God, as God said, and Paul breaks into uh, um, an external quote, he says, God speaking, I will dwell and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people because they're my redeemed, because they're the ones I've chosen, I've saved them. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything, any unclean thing. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we're separated um, unto Christ and unto living to, for him and for his glory. And we're also separated from this world that we currently live in. We don't act and live and function like the world around us. We live every day for the glory of God. We live for his honor and for his praise. And with all of that too, I want you to realize that you're actually a servant of God. You're a, a slave of God. You, you no longer have your own life to live as you want If you in that sense. So if you look over at Romans chapter 6, verses um, 17 to 23. Romans 6, verses 17 to 23. Let me just read this to you. But thank God, uh, but thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin or servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, so you're no longer that servant, that slave of sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. You became a servant, a slave to the right style of living, which is God's style. I'm using a human analogy, says Paul, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offend, just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves or servants to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, which was our past history, so now offer the, those same parts of same life as slaves to righteousness, servants to righteousness, to right living that glorifies God, which results in sanctification, that is us being transformed to become more Christ-like. For when you were slaves or servants of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. In other words, you, you were held under no regime. You could do whatever you want. You belong to the world. You belong to the devil. You thought like that. So you lived like that. So what fruit was produced then from the things uh, you're not ashamed of? In other words, there was no fruit from that. The outcome of those things is death. Uh, that's uh, what the word of God obviously clearly makes uh, a point to us in several um, um, several texts. But now since you have been set free from sin and become a slave to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification. So the life you live is a life of good works that God has already prepared for us. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he's prepared these good works for us. So we live in those good works by which we glorify him. And the outcome is eternal life. We're secure in that sense. And then he quotes uh, verse 23 here. We, we know it well. For the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you live that old life, it's death. But the gift of God, the salvation brings about eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're separated unto God in that sense. We're we're, we're sent there to live for him. You know, a servant, a slave to God is one who is 
given himself and devoted himself to pleasing his master because he has a love for his master. He, he wants to magnify his master. He wants to glorify his master. He wants to make much of his master. He realizes his life is not about him. It's about his master because he's a slave to that master. And so that's the picture we begin to get. And if you were to go back in the Old Testament times, uh, the book of Deuteronomy tells us, uh, in chapter 15 especially about the hebrew slave the hebrew servant who was about to be set free by his hebrew master in the seventh year of, of service so he served his master for seven years he's been a really good slave he's done very well and his master says now you can go free you can live your free life but the slave had one choice and this was the only choice he could make at that time he <clears throat> prior to this he had no choosing whatsoever no choice to make, but this moment he gets his choice. And so he can say, yes, I'm going to go and go my own way. I'm going to live in the free world and do my own thing. Or I'm going to continue to be your servant. If he chose to continue to serve that uh, master, then the master took him out the back and put him against a wall and took with what's called an awl, which was a, a large pick type um implement and he would hammer his ear in his earlobe and pierce that and that was an indicator this servant is my servant forever for the rest of my life he will serve me he will do as i as i ask of him and the servant said i want to do that because this is a great master he's a good master he's a fair master he's honest and he treats me well and so that that servant could have end up have a having a, a reasonably good life from all of that in the service of his master and of course that's an analogy of who we are having been saved and having been set apart in the world and now we're these servants of christ we serve the risen jesus we he's our master he's our lord we serve him we honor him we glorify him this life belongs to him for him to do whatever he wants to do with it it's no longer i who live but it's christ who lives in me says paul so we get that picture in all of that and we begin to understand that we now are his servants which is a good thing and of course the, and the final point i want to bring out to us today is that of being a saint um, uh, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, that, that we should greet or we should acknowledge, we should um, salute or make much for every saint who is in Christ Jesus. And these are the people who are alive. They're, this is the church. The saints are living. The saints are breathing. The saints are, are ministering. The, the, the Greek word for that is hagios, which is a, a word that speaks of holiness. So I want you to realize that if you're saved, if you, you're saved genuinely by the Lord Jesus Christ and you're living for him and you're wanting to be uh, someone who's not connected to this world, but lives for his world, you live for his His that world today in this world, and you're a servant, you're willing to serve him, whatever he asks of you, uh, as someone who can who will do his what your master um, expects from you, then you're truly a saint and you're living and you're breathing and you're being holy and you're being made holier because your thoughts are becoming more like Christ. You're beginning to live more like your master, who's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're one who is separated from sin and therefore you're consecrated, set apart to Jesus Christ. You see, sainthood is not uh, an attainment. It's, a, it's a, a state, if you want, into which God and grace calls men he's calling you and i he's calling people today to leave this old world to leave their their old master the devil and to come and be cleansed and purified like turton spoke of and have their sins forgiven and become this believer who will live for god's glory and who is um, going to make much about purifying his own life because he wants jesus christ to be exemplified 
through his life. So he wants all of that to happen simply, easily, but very distinctly and clearly he wants that to happen in his life. And you will work hard then to uh, forsake sin in your life, to keep your life pure and holy. You'll want to be a being that is holy because you will want to enjoy and celebrate the fellowship and holiness that you're going to enjoy with God the Father through Christ the Son as moved in you by the Spirit of God who lives in you. So that's an important point. With all of that, I want to leave you with a, a simple illustration that I hope um, encourages you, I hope challenges you, I hope motivates and stimulates you to really get active and say, I need to be living for God today. The story is told that um, during the reign of Oliver Cromwell, uh, the government ran out of silver coinage. And so Cromwell had sent some of his, uh, his soldiers out into the uh, highways and byways and said, go and find silver. And they went and they checked out the cathedrals and all of this. And after coming going through several cathedrals, they came back and they reported, uh, sir, the only silver we can find is in the statues of the saints standing in the corners of the cathedrals. And so well, people would have thought this is a, a terrible thing, but Cromwell um, replied, good, that's a wonderful thing. We'll melt down the saints and we'll put them into circulation. We're going to put the saints, the, 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 the silver coins, into circulation. And it's kind of like us, isn't it? We, we need to be melted down in this life and put into circulation in this world to stand for Jesus, to speak for him, to show him and to declare him to his world. That's the whole point of our being saved so that others will be drawn to Christ through our understanding, through our testimony. That's what um, is so important. So we, we have to have that point of what we say to people will produce knowledge of understanding in their lives and in their, in their thinking. And what with that knowledge, we want to help draw them because of what God's working in them, uh, is working in them, we want to draw them into this experience of understanding that what they've heard and then putting it into their life. We want to see them seeking forgiveness and pardon of their sin. And we want to see them then receiving Christ as their Savior and having that confidence that he, he lives in them. We want them to be brought uh, in, to Christ and uh, by, by want them to be brought to faith in Christ alone, only through Jesus, obviously through the working of the Spirit there. And being assured that they belong to him in saving faith, having received him as the Lord and Savior. That's the wonderful thing. So before we do that with anybody else, I want to invite you to take a moment and just pray and ask the Lord and be certain that you belong to him. So why not take a moment and do that? And then I'm going to pray for us. But I want you to take that personal moment to saying, Lord, I want to be certain I belong to you. So I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be my redeemer. I'm not doing that out of repetition, but I really want to know that I belong to you. I want to seek your word, search your word. I want to have this confidence that I belong to you only, Lord. So take a moment now, just right now, and give yourself to him in that way. Let me pray for you. Lord, I want to thank you for these listeners. I want to thank you for their faithfulness. I want to pray and ask that each and every one of them will have this personal relationship of forgiveness of sin uh, in their lives with you, that they'll be redeemed, that they'll be um, confident they belong to you, and that they can turn to your word, the word of God, and say, here's evidence. Here's why I belong to Jesus, like some of these text we look at. So bless them, Lord, encourage them, and use all of us to make much of you to be faithful servants and tell your story to your world 
learned about us so that others may be drawn to understanding and to knowing a wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being their Savior, their Lord as well. Thank you for loving us, saving us, redeeming us, and being willing to use us. Be glorified in this life, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time, folks. Really do appreciate that. Be encouraged and keep pressing on and trust that um, your confidence continues to grow in the fact that you're uh, one who's confidently of being in Christ, having your saving faith in him. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.